Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Before we get started, let's take a small break to say thank you to this week's sponsors. Okay, so I have a question for you. On a scale of zero to five, where zero is, I don't think about it at all, and five is, I'm fully connected, how on top of your hormone health are you? If you said zero to one, it is time to build that connection. Your hormones and your cycle are central to your overall functioning and regulating your body will completely transform your mental, emotional, and physical health. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality and it shows. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. And even though it helps for more than just menopause, Hormone Harmony is great for any horrible menopausal symptoms that put a woman's life on hold, like hot flashes and night sweats, raising thoughts, low mood, poor sleep, feeling tired all the time, bloating and gas, lower sexual desire. Hormone Harmony can help with all of those things. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code BGH at checkout. My, my job is to somehow make them curious enough or persuade them by hook or crook to get more aware of themselves and where they came from and what they are into and what is already there and just to bring it out. This is what compels me to compel them. And I will do it by whatever means necessary. Welcome to the Black Girls Heal podcast, where we talk about healing our intimacy disorders, unresolved trauma, and building a healthy relationship with first ourselves and then others. Every episode, we will talk about advice you can apply today to break unhealthy patterns and grow in your self-worth. I'm Sheena Lachey, love addiction coach and trauma specialist. Let's begin. Hello, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Black Girls Heal. I am so happy to be with you today as we continue our series on money trauma and recovering from it and its interaction with love addiction. So I want to say here, when I was thinking about last week's episode, there was something that I wanted to make clear that I'm not sure if I did about this intersection between money disorders, money attachment, love addiction, love avoidance, and why I'm taking the space here to talk about it. So I've shared on the podcast before that when it comes to love addiction, love avoidance, love deprivation, what what have you, when you are going through your recovery, it is really important for you to be mindful of co-occurring disorders or addictive behaviors. So this is where you can stop your overattachment or your overindulgence in one area and then switch it out for another area that might be benign and might just be actually a really functional part of your life. But because you're trying to use it to fix a hole that you have on the inside, it's one, never enough. You never feel satisfied enough in it. Um, usually you're using it so much to where it might actually start to cause some complications or you're going to start to feel more anxious around that area because it's not 
you're not doing it for joy and fulfillment. You're actually doing it to fix this um, internal fear you have of either not being enough, not feeling safe, um, needing to prove yourself, and it just doesn't work. And so then once that starts to feel problematic, you'll switch that out for something else. And then you'll do that until excess, until finally you're like, okay, well, I think it's time for me to go ahead and focus on myself and relationships again, because I've been focused on all these other things for so long. So let me come back to this. So for example, if you struggle with love addiction and trying to find love and relationships to make you feel good and make you feel safe and make you feel chosen and make you feel good enough, once that starts to crash and burn, you may say, okay, you know what? Forget that. I'm going to focus just on my career. I'm going to focus on getting that bag. I'm going to focus on getting my degree. I'm going to focus on being purposeful and being in my talents. And so you'll work and work and work and work and fill your time, fill your energy. But then that starts to become old if it's not already feeling old and you find that you really don't have any time for yourself, for rest, for life. You may start to feel burnt out and then that may switch out. And then you start to Focus on your body, focus on your glow up, focus on getting in the best shape of your life, you know, focus on um, wearing clothes that feel really good for you, getting your makeup game on point, getting your hair all together and really going in that direction, hoping and feeling that if you feel, feel, feel fulfilled in that, then you will start to feel enough. But here's the thing with all three of those things. None of those things are bad. All those things are amazing. All those things actually do point to someone who has healthy self-worth, you know, acting and showing up in your talent, finding ways that you are showing up fully in your body and your body image and actually liking this version of yourself, finding love, finding connection. These are all great things, but when you're using them as a substitute to try to fix deep inner child wounds with this inner script that says you are not enough. You are never going to have enough work accolades that are going to make you feel safe and make you feel enough. You're never going to have a body shape or a body type that's going to make you feel safe and make you feel enough. And you're not going to have a relationship that makes you feel safe and make you, makes you feel enough because the common denominator is how you feel on the inside and what you're able to receive how secure you feel, how you feel about your self-worth is best when all of those other things are an outpouring of the fulfillment that you already have within you. And so you're doing those things out of self-love, not out of trying to fix something that was never broken in the first place. So money disorders and the way that we operate around money, whether or not in anxiety or whether or not in over-control can be one of those things that we cycle out in, in aims of trying to fulfill these places that don't feel safe to us, these places where we may hide showing up as our best selves, these places that we may try to over-control in some areas, we may start to try to over-control in the areas of money. And because there are so many voices and so many stories in this world that sometimes will enable these behaviors and we wonder why we don't ever get to this mountaintop where we feel fulfilled, where we you know, have enough money in our bank accounts, where we have enough shoes in our closet, where we have enough fill in the blank that actually makes us feel accomplished. And as we can rest, it is because maybe we are doing all the right things, but the things, the reasons why we are doing it, maybe they're intertwined with these are good, functional, healthy behaviors for ourselves that is designed to help us 
be our best selves and to build a life that makes us feel good. But we're doing it from a place of scarcity. We're doing it from a place of lack as well. We're doing it from a place of fear or money trauma that we've seen other people go through before. And that's not wanting to either miss out, get caught off guard, um, suffer like the people that have gone before us. In today's episode, I'm going to talk more about um, money worshiping disorders. You can't see my air quotes, but for those who keep in this space, things like um, compulsive spending or workaholism or money hoarding, which really focuses on money is the problem. And once I have enough money, once I've accumulated more things, then I'm going to feel safe and feel enough. If you've watched a lot of people who've gone through this type of trauma and things before, you could be stacking your money building wealth, doing all the right things that's going to help you and build a legacy that comes after you. All of these are truly healthy things, but you won't be able to sit and never truly experience gratitude for it. You're not going to be able to look back and rest and see what you built because you're building it from a place of anxiety, trauma, and fear. And so what I want for every single person who listens to this episode And every other episode that I do is I want you to get every single thing that you want. I want you to buy the shoes. I want you to make the investments. I want you to get your boo. I want you to get the job. I want you to, you know, go on safaris and go on all the trips you want to. I want you to have every single thing that you want, but I want you to be able to enjoy it. I want you to be able to be fully present and see the good thing that you have in in front of you and to actually experience it, to not miss time, to miss moments, to miss the beauty that's in front of you because you're constantly looking over your shoulder for the next thing, or you're looking over your shoulder for this good thing in front of you to be taken away from you, right? Otherwise, you're always going to be going on this hamster wheel and never feel like you can ever slow down, never feel like you can ever sit down. So that is why I'm teaching about these things, because even though this is not the main focus of what I teach about here, everything that I've shared are things that I've seen women who I have worked with be a part of their cycle. And while we get one area of their life under control, these other things start to come up. And so because I see this intersection, I wanted to mention it. So if this applies to anyone who's listening or anyone that you know, that you can go and get the support and resources that will help you best. Of course, I'm having my money workshop in the next couple of weeks where we're going to be talking about healing from this money trauma and learning how to be present and learning how to practice mindfulness and some other tools to help us with this. But even beyond this, if you have a therapist that you feel like would be really great to talk with these things about, whenever you go and talk to your own financial advisors and people who help you with these sorts of things, mentioning the psychology of um, money disorders and what you've heard here, you know, get on your Googles and look up some books. But I want you to be able to find full healing, 360 holistic healing in these areas. So with that said, last week, or last episode, I talked about money trauma and under-earning. If you were to look up what a lot of people who teach about money disorders, uh, the the philosophy that they use when they talk about this, they usually separate money disorders into two, sometimes three categories, which is money avoidance disorders and then money worshiping disorders. Last week's episode focused more on money avoidance disorders. So I did a big focus on under earning because that's usually what I see that happens the most in 
the women that I serve, either the women that I serve or in the partners that they pick. So either they are the ones who struggle with showing up as their full selves uh, and um, not sabotaging their own movement, thinking that they are not worthy of what is given to them, uh, not going out for positions that they actually want, not dreaming big and just living in a lot of comfort and fear, or they pick partners who under earn and have that own, their own sort of trauma and own sort of insecurity. And so now um, the women that I support are now the caretakers. They're the caretakers of, usually it's men, but it can also be women, but they're the caretakers of their partners. Now they have to mother them. Now they're trying to help them get their degrees. Now they're trying to help them with their resumes. Now they're trying to help them, you know, um, find what the passion that they want in life, even if that person is going back and forth between all these different things and not and not actually following suit with anything, um, but giving all this lip service to what they want to do and the person that they're going to be and the dreams that they have. But not realizing that, again, that comment that I made last episode about the call coming from inside the house, that this person, that they are the anchor, they are the roadblock. Not all the things that they have said have, have gotten away, not all the chances that they say people never took on them, that because they don't feel good enough and because they are kind of set on under showing up and not showing up as their best self, it doesn't matter how much you pour into this person. It doesn't matter how much you sacrifice. It doesn't matter how much you encourage them. They are not going to change unless they want to change. It doesn't matter how much you threaten them for anyone who listens to that and says, hey, that's my partner. Let me go and tell them what I know now and tell them that they got to get their stuff together. You got to be the change. You have to decide what it is that you want in your life and what the amount of work and labor that you want to bring to a relationship, and then you have to do it. You can't wait on somebody else to give you permission to pull back. You can't wait on someone else to give you permission to say, okay, you know what? You've given so much and you've shown up so much. If you are in this type of underbalanced relationship that has been causing, usually if you've been in this type of relationship for a long period of time, it has caused you a large amount of not only emotional stress, but financial distress, um, uh, psychological, maybe even spiritual distress. And so you are now in a SOS crisis situation. And so it is okay for you to take measures, however it looks best for your family and for your setup, to pull back in a way that helps preserve the amount of damage that has been done. But under earning is one of a few avoidance, uh, money avoidance disorders, but the other ones that are usually talked about kind of roll into um, under earning or what a lot of that symptomology is. So that's why I focus on that one specifically because of how commonly I see it. Today's episode, I'm going to focus on money hoarding, compulsive spending, and workaholism. Usually when people talk about money worshiping disorders and ways that people may act out their anxiety and over control or avoidance with money, they will also mention compulsive gambling. I am not going to talk about gambling only because with the women that I have served, I have not had anyone bring this to me or that I have seen directly be something that they struggle with. I've had women who've had other female family members or other family members um, who do not identify as women who have struggled with gambling, but no one who I've directly supported. But I have directly supported women who struggle with compulsive hoarding, spending, and overworking. And so I'm going to stick to what I know. And then at the end, 
I will talk just a little bit more about relational financial disorders, which is usually the third category of money disorders that folks can talk about when they talk about money issues and how it can show up in your body and in your relationships. So before I get into the definitions of all these different types of money disorders, I'm going to give you just a one word statement that can encapsulate the thoughts for the folks who may struggle with each of these, uh, just so that you have just a top line understanding. So um, the thought for compulsive hoarding of money is a thought there will never be enough money. Therefore, I'm going to keep saving it, right? It doesn't matter how much you make, by the way. With all of these, when you look into money disorders and stuff like that, there's a lot of people who would say that this is usually connected to debt or to people who don't really have a high income, but that has not been my experience and what I've seen and what I've experienced as well. Uh, People can have a very high income, but it's more related to the anxiety and the emotions surrounding this. So you can have someone who's a compulsive spender And they're spending and spending, spending, and have a very high amount of capital to work with, but the spending never gets better and they never feel satiated and they never feel enough and they never feel safe because they're not spending and buying just because it makes them feel good and brings them joy in the moment, but it's because they're hoping that they have enough of this, enough things that whatever um, insecurity is inside of them, that they're finally feel safe enough and feel satiated enough in some way. Um, and that doesn't happen. And usually what happens with folks who have a high amount of capital to work with around their money disorders is usually they cannot see it until they are in an intimate relationship with someone who also is seeing what's happening firsthand or is directly involved in the finances to where they start to get a different set of feedback and a different perspective of people who see the long-term effects of what is happening. And maybe it's even starting to affect them depending on their family makeup or situation. And there's an ask to pull back. So just like all compulsive process disorders or addictions, one of the qualifiers is what is whatever you're doing. Is it starting to impact not only your own functioning, but your lifestyle, your relationships, and the people around you? You know, because if it is starting to bleed out of the lines of it being contained to you and it's starting to affect everything else and touch everything else, it's worth looking at. So with compulsive hoarding, there will never be enough. This might show up in relationships. I know I'm skipping your head a little bit, but this might show up in relationships to where there's this extreme frugality. And no matter how much money you have stockpiled somewhere, no one can touch it. So people are still living in either hand-me-downs or things that are very broken down. Things that it's not even that you're living in a in a place. I know that the word that I use is frugal, but... Um, just think about less than frugal, like cheap, almost decrepit. Uh, and that there's just like extreme restriction, extreme deprivation among around spending anything um, to where you feel unsafe, taking care of basic expenses that may that will not put you in any financial danger, but you just refuse to do so based on that anxiety that you have regarding that. The top line thought for workaholism is I have to work hard enough to make sure there's enough money or I have to be busy all the time to feel like I'm enough. So either one of those or both of those can be the top line thought for workaholism. 
And then for overspending or compulsive buying, top line thought is I need this now. I need multiples of these now. Um, this is such a good find. I must have this now. If I do not have it now, fill in the blank. I won't be able to function. I'm going to die. That is not exaggeration. Sometimes people feel that level of extreme um, desire and anxiety around having the thing in their possession which is the problem, right? This level of incompletion that you feel without having this thing. So it's different than you wanting to gift something to yourself or treat yourself or just enjoy, you know, life. Eat, joy, eat drink, and be merry, right? These are all just great platitudes and, and lessons for us to live by. But when it starts to cause complications in your life to where your closet is filled with so many things that you can't even get your way through that. I mean, this might sometimes result in classic hoarding of where you can't even get around all the things that you've bought physically in your closet, in your home. So you don't even know what you have, right? So how much are you actually enjoying and using this beautiful thing that you couldn't live without three months ago? And Again, I just want to be very clear. This is no, this is not meant to be attacking or shaming for folks who like to buy, like to spend, like to treat yourself. I just want to make sure that when you are doing these things that you can actually feel it when you buy something that is not just a quick dopamine hit that is gone the next second you buy it. But I want you to be able to feel deep into your heart, deep into your skin, deep into your bones. I want it to be so grounded and rooted in your body, what you have just gotten right? To where it's a full body experience that lingers, that stays, that you can look over at it in your closet, in your room, in your car, in your office, you know, where, where, your, where your child is wearing it, where your, your partner has it in their hand and you can look at it and it brings you joy versus you forgot that it even existed so quickly afterwards, right? I, I hope that makes sense. So let's talk about hoarding. So hoarding within the context of money disorders is excessive and compulsive accumulation of money or assets. And in some cases, of course, possessions, you know, there was a show, I think it was on AMC that was just called hoarding, right. Or hoarders. And so you will watch people who would just have their homes just filled to the brim, to the ceiling in every single room with the things that they had bought. And it is very possible for you to not have a home that's filled with material possessions, but you have bank accounts and investments accounts and other accounts, life insurance plans, you know, estate plans, all those things that are filled to the brim with money, but you are still living in deprivation. So you can, what, what is that book? That book that's called The Millionaire Next Door. And it talks about how the majority of millionaires in the country are people who are unassuming. So they're not all tech startup folks. They are the teachers. They are plumbers. They are engineers. And they're living in regular houses and regular neighborhoods. And they are millionaires. Why? Because they are smart with their money. They are um, maybe conservative with their money. They are balanced with their money, right? And they are not living beyond their means, but they also are putting money away, investing and all that stuff. And so they have built wealth over time. So in me talking about not um, spending money, this is not me telling folks who are more wise and savvy with their money that because you got it, that means you need to go and buy a house that's you know, five times more than the one that you already have. You should be flying to Bora Bora every week and whatever else. What I'm saying is if you are wearing shoes that no longer fit you or have a hole in them, 
Or if you have a partner who's saying that they want to be able to go out to dinner sometimes instead of having to um, eat groceries inside the house every month, and also that there's a cap on the amount of groceries that they're allowed to spend, right? That they're buying generic brand food um, because they are not allowed to buy Oreos because it's not needed. Meanwhile, you have insert blank amount of money in your bank account. Again, I'm going to try not to put numbers on things because what is low and high is very subjective to people. But that amount of deprivation and over-restriction is very, very unhealthy. It is unhealthy for your body. And I'm going to start there. This isn't about philosophy or you know what's too much or enough. But when your body is living under extreme stress and under extreme restriction, it impacts your nervous system. It impacts your gastrointestinal system, which is connected to that. It impacts your cardiovascular system. It impacts your ability to move through the world without living in anxiety and being able to sleep at night and all those things, right? You are still very hypervigilant. And that is not good for your health and your mental health, your physical health and your mental health long-term. So where you want to get if it comes to money hoarding and extreme frugality and deprivation is to to getting to a place where you can take care of yourself, still have your financial goals, figure out what is the amount that will make you feel safe. And if you do not have an amount, if you find that that amount keeps growing and growing and growing and growing, you need to start asking yourself questions around what does money mean to me? Why is it that there's not any amount that's going to make me feel safe? Um, what amount do I get to make before I can start enjoying life? If I get, if that is my plan, at what age, at what time period will I be allowed to enjoy my, my life? Do I feel comfortable waiting that amount of time, be it months, years, or decades, where I am not allowed to enjoy my life until then? And that I'm living in this kind of very restricted darkness in some ways, right? This kind of dimmed existence of where I am. Is that when I look back at my life at that point, how I want to have experienced my time? Hey, we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Let's take a quick break to say thanks to this week's sponsors. As our country continues to grow and make new meaning of the intersection between current and historical events, it is so important to stay connected to the voices and the leaders who are influencing what progress, connection, equality, and truth mean to us as Black people. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black Truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection from some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Here are a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, nuanced, and Black as the country we reflect. 
Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths on NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Attention to all my proud plant parents. It is time to give all of your plant babies the best nutrition you can, starting from the bottom up. And that starts with the best soil to help them grow happy, nourished, and strong. Coast of Maine is an organic soil brand that is approved for organic growing and has been sourced from ocean waters and farms for over 28 years. With a full range of products that support every garden and lawn, Coast of Maine products are made to restore roots to the natural world. If your soil lacks appropriate nutrients for success, by adding Coast of Maine products, it will help regenerate the healthy microbes in your soil and set you up for gardening success. And if you have a vegetable garden, not only do you benefit via an abundant harvest, but find that there is less need to maintain and feed throughout your season. Coast of Maine continually perfects the art and science of sourcing, mixing, and composting products worthy of the people and place that aspired their brand and the healthier world it was built to serve. Coast of Maine believes in nurturing relationships with local retailers. The products are carried by tons of local retail partners who can provide advice and insight that is not found in the big box stores. Coast of Maine knows from beginner to expert, anyone who takes a hand to the land has something to offer the growing community for gardeners everywhere, which is why I love how they make organic gardening simple and approachable for everyone. So let's get growing. Visit coastofmaine.com to find a local retailer near you. Coast of Maine, like the state with an E.com. And some people are going to hear me say that and say, yes, it's worth it. Some people are going to look at me and say, or listen to me and say, no, but I don't really know how to get out of that because it's, it's, that is, it's too scary to think otherwise. And that is exactly where I want you to be at, not because that is a good feeling, but because I want you to recognize that there's something underneath that, that this isn't just about budget and numbers and all that, that there is real fear. And whether or not it started with you and something that happened to you, whether or not it started with your family or your community, what you've seen generationally, that there is something bigger outside of you that even when you reach that number, I would highly doubt if you actually felt safe, you know, and me saying highly doubt is the therapist in me that's stopping me from saying you won't feel safe. Um, But I, I, but I highly, I highly doubt it. So it's my encouragement to you to start to work on um, your fears of taking care of yourself and your fears of spending on yourself and what spending means. If spending is a bad word, you know, you hear me say that it makes you want to cover your ears, you know, figure out where that comes from. Speaking of spending, let's talk about compulsive spending or overbuying. So this is where it is irresistible for you to um, not engage in uncontrolled spending. A lot of times I know that I said that this is not necessarily connected to a certain amount of capital that you have in your life, but I have seen with some of the folks that I have served um, that they they make made so much money, made so, so, so much money, but their compulsive spending got to a place to where even with the amount of money that them, they had a partner, they had investments, they had rental properties, they had all kinds of things. With the amount of spending that um, my clients were doing, that it was now causing um, financial distress in the home. And so even with these real consequences that were happening, my clients could not pull back because this is a real addiction. It's a real addictive process that's related to triggers. Um, emotional catalyst is is connected to cognitive thoughts that 
and scripts that you have on replay over and over is connected to the dopamine, is connected to the, the payoff, is connected to the withdrawal. There's real withdrawal that happens when you try to stop these behaviors. Um, anxiety, panic attacks, um, suicidality, this, this stuff is very, very real. So with the compulsive spending, working through this, it is about you looking at what is the underlying emotional and psychological factors that are driving you to spend. What is it that you're trying to get? What is it that you're trying to feel? Where did you learn this, right? And until you actually work on these things, again, it doesn't matter how great the budget is. It doesn't matter how big the threat is from your partner, from your children, from your job, from your loved ones. This all of our trauma responses has our prefrontal cortex. Like they're not, these are not logical decisions. This is our bodies making fight or flight decisions. Fight, flight, or freeze, where your body is just trying to find safety. So it is going to bypass all of those very logical, sane thoughts because it is going towards what is going to make it feel the most stable and the most equal even if it's causing consequences on the other side. It is the neural pathway that is the most well-worn and the one that it's most used to. So you have to, have to, have to get outside support and help to work with, help you work through this if this is something that you or someone that you love is dealing with. And just like all addictions, y'all, the only thing that you can do is be of support to your loved one. You cannot overcompensate and do the therapy for them. You cannot uh, push them and burden them enough to make them to take the process seriously. The only thing that you can do is to figure out what are your own personal boundaries and you must live in them. You must live them out fully. And so your your partner, your loved one, your friend, whoever it may be, um, you get to decide with the help of your treatment support team what what approach you're going to take. There are some approaches that talk about completely cutting off someone who's with an addiction until they get it together. And there are some people who say that's the worst thing ever and you need to start to practice some compassionate bystanding, but that doesn't fully envelop you. You got to figure out what works best for you and what for your family. But the common denominator through all this is the only person that you can control is yourself. And if you start to feel like you are drowning based on the bad behavior of other people, you got to be the one to pull back and say no and understand that this other person, this other grown person is in charge of the next steps that they are going to take. And that also means that sometimes based on the mess that they have made, that there are real consequences that they have to walk through and you enabling them and covering for them and um, saying it's okay when it's really not okay because there's been so much destruction is you not helping them work through that. You're not actually helping them make true amends because they're not actually having to see what they need to do differently to live in this life differently. We're going to talk about that financial codependency in a moment, but before we get there, let's talk about workaholism. Workaholism is probably the one of the most common things that I see. And a lot of times it looks like my, it shows up more in folks who are more avoidant because workaholism is all about, you know, the transaction of I put in action and I get a very clear, tangible reward. The more I show up, the more money I make, 
the more accolades I get, the more promotions I get, the more reach I have, the more whatever, right? And that is very, very satisfying for folks who may feel like they have life of control in other areas of their life. It is not that shallow. Let me be very clear. It is not that shallow. People who are workaholics, for the most part, they are they are doing so because they are doing exactly what they're here to do in this world, right? They have real purpose. They have real talent. They're good at what they do, right? They are the ones who do it better than anybody else. That's amazing. And it's wonderful. However, there's no time where the reason why you know that this is an excess, if this is you, is that there's no time that you actually can take a break and pull away from the amount of work that you're doing. You're always going to take a break after this next project, after this next launch, after this next ramp up, after this next chapter, after this next certification, but that time never comes. And even if there is a slowdown in your work, you will fill up that time with other things, other volunteer opportunities, you know, programs at your church, uh, helping Sister Pam or your your cousin Leroy take their nephew over to soccer games and now all your weekends are filled up, you know, like you always find a way to fill up your time to where it's to the brim and every single moment, every single second is controlled. And what we have to look at when it comes to this is what happens for you when things are slow. What happens to you when it's just you and yourself? What happens to you when it's just you and your thoughts? What ache is there? What loneliness may be there? What fear of something happening is there? Fear of losing out on time, losing out on relationships, losing out on money. What is underneath that? No human being is meant to go 24-7. It is that it is not healthy in any, in, in no way is that ever healthy for anyone. We must rest. And so if you find that you cannot rest, we got to look at the reason why. Whenever I would do the open house for the recovery school, I used to, and I might still do this the next time I do an open house, but I would go over the common schedule of the type of women that I would serve. And I would talk about my professionals, my CEO, sweet ladies who would want to work together. And usually when they come in and we look at their schedule, their schedule is filled to the brim, but there's usually one activity that they do for their self-care right? They have like a workout class or they have a trainer or someone and they're pretty consistent with it. And I think that's awesome. However, that's still doing, 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 doing. It's very hard for them to be. It's very hard for them to rest. It's very hard for them to take an extended amount of time repeatedly, regularly as part of their schedule. They may take a few days off or a week off here or there, but they might still bring their laptop. They might still be on their phone. And even if they aren't, that is one vacation in how many weeks of the year, right? To where they don't let themselves slow down again. And there's kind of this frenzy that behind it, which is like, I can't slow down. If I slow down, then everything's going to drop. But if for anyone who has ever gotten to this place, you know, y'all know very well that I've talked about my background with workaholism. What's really insane about the experience of being a workaholic is once that catches up to you and your body starts to give out on you because biologically, physiologically, you are not meant as a human to go 24-7 and then add on any underlying um, stressors that are based in your own trauma that's going on or emotional distress or anything that's going on, your body is for sure going to give out. 
all of these thoughts that you've had about why you cannot stop and why you cannot slow down because people aren't going to make it or you're going to lose this progress or whatever, whatever, whatever. When your body stops, somehow the world keeps moving. Somehow everybody figures it out. Somehow um, everything that you thought you would lose is still there, right? And so you find out that you could have made this change this whole time. And the and the defining factor, the stopper was you. And so, but still, you knowing that, and you hearing me say that, or you hearing other people in your life go through that, or even if you yourself have been someone who has experienced burnout and breakdowns and everything else, that doesn't stop you from making that change until you want to, until you figure out what are my real driving factors underneath here? What is it that I'm trying to accomplish and build? And is it possible for me to have those as true pillars of my life without sacrificing myself? I only got one life, one body. How can I live my life to the fullest, accomplish everything on this earth in this lifetime I'm here to do without losing and abandoning myself, right? Like that's what we're searching for here, okay? So again, y'all, this trauma and everything that's underneath this and the emotions that go into this and learning how to stay present in the moment and just talking more about anxiety or all the things we're going to be talking about at our money trauma, heal your money trauma workshop on Saturday, May, March 9th. Keep saying May. Saturday, March 9th. You can register by going to blackgirlsheal.org slash money. And we're going to dig into it for um, for the time that we are there and do some meditations, get grounded and really learn how to work through this work through these things and uh, I will have tools and some other things for you to take with you outside of this into your everyday life. So again, blackgirlsheal.org slash money. So I said I would talk a little bit about relational financial disorders too. So I'm going to say just a little bit because I've actually talked about this dynamic in last week's episode and also at the top of this week's episode by way of talking about financial enabling and financial dependency. So there are three relational money disorders that people typically talk about. Um, Those two, financial enabling and financial dependency, and also financial infidelity. So I'm going to talk mostly about the first two, but let me mention financial infidelity. Financial infidelity sounds exactly what it sounds like. So this is when you may deliberately be keeping secrets about your spending or finances from your partner or your partner is doing that from you doing that to you. Um, That is a real form of infidelity. It affects your livelihood. It affects your safety. It affects whether or not you can trust conversations that you have with this partner or not. And so I know I'm speaking as if it is your partner being deceptive towards you, but it's also you being deceptive towards your partner. So it's so common. It's so common, especially on my FYP, on my social media, uh, like TikTok and other places to see you know, wives hiding boxes from Amazon from their partner and hiding shopping and everything. And so I'm going to have y'all use your own discretion on based on what you have heard me talk about today on where that lies for y'all on how far on the deception meter that is. This is me not qualifying or trying to um, excuse anything because, because I'm not. (laughs) Because again, there's just so much subjectivity when it comes to from everything from what's a high number of income to a low number of income. And I'm not in your wallets. I'm not in your pockets. And I'm also not into what for some households 
for some partners is, oh my gosh, she bought that again, but they really don't care. Or she bought that again and they really do care. Uh, I'm not in your partnerships. You're the one who knows that, not me. But it is so important to have, um, to be on the same page when it comes to especially money for the reasons that I've already mentioned that money is not just a neutral thing for many folks, that it is very emotional because it does interact with safety and security and what it means when you spend versus what it means when you don't and what it means when you save versus what it means when you don't save, okay? But what I really want to talk about, because it is what I see often in the women that I serve, is financial enabling and financial dependency. So financial enabling is when you are giving a lot of money and co-signing the bad habits and the expenses of other people who are not, who because of that do not have to take care of their own um, livelihood and their own needs, but to the place to where they don't know how to, and they may have lots of crises that they will not get out of, that you are the one who's in charge of fixing it. Um, There is no end to the amount of rescues that you give them as well. What you say is the last time or, you know, you can't do it anymore. It never is because then they will come back with another sob story, a crisis that's even bigger, and you're the only person who can help them. Or they may, instead of asking you for $1,000, they may stair step you into making them, making you give them more by asking you for 20. So you break your boundary. You say you're not giving them any more money, but here you go with the 20. And then the next time it's 50. And then you're back to a thousand or more again, because it's a slow decline into that. This is a problem, not only because it's enabling this person to always stay in crisis mode, because then they never have to find their way out of it. A lot of times it causes people to, to, endanger their own financial well-being because they're not only taking care of their own expenses, but the expenses of somebody else. You can be financially enabling your own um, adult children, your own adult parents, your family members, your family friends. It could be anyone around you, but you just want to pay attention to, am I putting myself in financial distress to help somebody else? Even if it's not financially distressing to me, do I feel obligated to take care of this person and it's causing resentment, it's causing bitterness, it's crossing my own emotional boundaries and I don't want to do it, but I feel like I can't say no. Then we need to look at whether or not you are being a financial enabler, which is connected to financial dependency or financial codependency. So this is where this may not be you. Um, well, actually it may be some folks, but I was kind of just talking to the folks who are financial enablers, but someone who's financially a dependent or financially codependent, they refuse to take responsibility for their own financial well-being and the consequences of when they make bad decisions. So they have a business deal that goes bad is for everybody else to clean it up and everybody else to give them money and to understand that, you know, they're trying so hard and, you know, they just need just a little bit of help until the next business plan goes through, until the next um, get get rich scheme goes through, until the next time they lose their job, but they didn't actually save any money from that job because they knew that someone else was going to be there for them, right? No matter how much that job was. So we got to look at folks who may be refusing to take care of themselves and because they know that other people are always going to be there. If that is you, my dear, I need you to know that you are fully capable of changing this pattern if you want to. 
The reason why I'm saying if you want to is because if you're doing this, you know that it works. And why change a system if it's not broken? You know, why fix fix something if it's not broken? However, if this is how you're using relationships, there usually is an end date or a time when the people who are on the receiving end of this can and do become resentful. And you may have seen this in previous relationships. And some there may be some relationships that you really couldn't care less that they felt this way and you just moved on to the next person. And there may be some relationships that you really hate that it caused all this conflict. So if you're someone who is blessed enough to have people who are generous and supportive around you, I think that's amazing. I think that's a gift that a lot of people don't have, but you want to be very mindful that you don't exploit it. And if there, if this is partly coming from a place where you don't trust your own self to be able to provide for yourself, or you've not been able to gain the skill set, or maybe you feel like you are so far behind and you may feel dumb or look dumb or feel like very young, like maybe you're further behind in life where you haven't uh, built the skill set, just know it's never too late. And you trying and you starting is something that's going to be celebrated by everybody around you. People who love you want the best for you and they want to see you shine. And so I, if no one else has told you that they believe in you, I want to tell you that I believe in you. And I know that you can have, be, and do anything that you set your mind to. So I hope that is helpful. All right. This episode was jam-packed, y'all. I covered a lot of things. I really hope that this helped round out part one of our money trauma episodes and that this kind of brought things all together. Um, Next week will be our last episode in the series before the workshop. So if you have any questions or anything that has come to mind, feel free to send me a DM. Feel free to comment if you're watching or listening to this on YouTube. Um, I know many folks listen on Spotify and there's like a section there we can write what you learn on an episode, send us an email. If you're in one of my programs and you are in either the BJH Members Club or the Recovery School, and you have a question that you would like for me to talk about on the podcast episode before we get to the workshop, you can let me know at any of those places. Either me or my team will get it and um, take note of it. But that is it for this week. If you would like to join me at our Healing Money Trauma Workshop, you can still register by going to blackgirlsheal.org slash money and save your seat and you will get full access to the replay. If you cannot join live, it will be at 10 a.m. CST on Saturday, March 9th. You can submit your question ahead of time and I will answer it for you at the workshop on the replay that you can watch when you are able to listen. So that is it for now. I'm sending you all so much love and I will see you in our next episode. Take care of yourselves. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Before we get started, let's take a small break to say thank you to this week's sponsors.